Hello and welcome to this week's Starts One Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Kennington. How goes it, Ted? I'm still a closet Liverpool fan. Yeah, I was rooting <laughs> for them last night, actually. I don't always root for them. It depends what's going on. But for every game that's been on, you know, I've watched recently, it's just like I have really significant rooting preferences here, and it's tense. It feels like every single <laughs> match is like that. <laughs> Just trying to keep your heart healthy. You know how it is. <laughs> oh, man. And then what have we got tonight? I asked Tottenham on top of it. Oh, yeah. That, that one nobody really cares about, right? Uh, well, I have a, a rooting <laughs> preference there. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, even without my obvious bias, I still think I still think I want Tottenham-Liverpool in the final now rather than Ajax-Liverpool. I think Liverpool would just run over Ajax if, if it comes to it. Well, um, I mean, a lot of people have thought that in previous rounds, though. I still think it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not veering for that. Liverpool are just good. I mean, geez, like I don't know. We keep finding these new teams that you can't kill. Here's Liverpool. You can't kill them. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone facing Barcelona when Barcelona have a three goal lead? Oh man, <laughs> I know. It's just absolutely insane. I mean, we should talk about this first before, before anything. Like last night's match was absolutely, you know, off the charts. Barmy, um, Liverpool given absolute tiny percentage of. Uh, qualifying um, beforehand, you know, somewhere five percent or below, I think, of qualifying, and with some justification because the amount of times these kind of three goal, no away goal leads get turned around is you know, once a decade, if that. I think it might even be less than that. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I was, what was I thinking? There's been a few of these. Um, cricket's gone like that. People keep chasing down like big totals in cricket that they never used to in the old days. Well, I think the game is changing a bit, and, and we I mean, these are themes that we discuss, right? But you know, I, I discussed it before leg one. I was like, look, Liverpool can't just sit and and try and counterattack against Barcelona because you can't just give Messi all of the ball and and hope that you're gonna. You're gonna, you know, stop them from scoring and maybe, you know, get one and, and be lucky. Now, I thought that Liverpool should kind of go after that game, and you know, they had all of their their personnel pretty healthy. What was interesting is like what I didn't expect. I looked at other people's XG numbers, and ours like did not agree with everyone else on this game. Like we thought, we thought basically Barcelona edged it by an entire goal mm-hmm. in terms of XG. Now, obviously, that's not three goals. Um, you know, there was the Messi. Uh, Messy free kick, which the model won't rate correctly. Like maybe even you know you give that an extra 0.13 or something like that. Like say it's a, a one in six chance instead of a, a one in thirty. Um, but yeah, so so anyway, I was a bit surprised that the Debele chance was you know 0.41 late. Um, yeah, Suarez chance was huge and uh, da, 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 da. oh yeah, there, there were multiple pretty good Suarez chances and then the best one. Um, our Stuff isn't in yet because it was a late night finish, uh, so we don't know what where this one looked. But basically, going back to the first leg, I thought that you know, Liverpool had some chances, didn't entirely like it, and you're facing Messi, and Messi's going to do Messi things, and you know you need to attack Barcelona because that has been their weakest point all year. It's like yeah, I mean yeah, we've we've commented this consistently that their their expected goals and their defense have not looked good at all, and. Um, that said, I mean, two goals from Origi, two goals from Wijnaldum. These aren't scripts you write. They just, <laughs> they're ones that you kind of look at and think, what the hell happened there? And uh, yeah, absolute momentous moment from Alexander-Arnold to tee up the tee up the last goal, catch them all unawares. Um, 
it's one of those things. The first leg wasn't a three 0 to Barcelona. The second leg was shouldn't really have been a four 0 to Liverpool. But no, I, I, I thought I thought Allison was particularly mm. good. Like there were some outstanding saves in the moment that that he made, and uh, so I, this. I, it's hard to God. I, it's not our own horn, right? We're we're kind of like we're living off the back of Liverpool executing things that we have advised for years now, and so like the set piece stuff that Liverpool are doing is damned impressive. And uh, Van Dijk changing the free kick taker at the weekend when it's two two, they need a goal, and and he's like, no, no, have have Shakiri take the in swinger from wide as opposed to Alexander taking take sort of the outswinger. So he switched feet with it, and then suddenly Origi's there at the end of it. Um, you know, the ball's on his head. And then the Alexander-Arnold one is just so smooth. It's just like, look, Will, uh, you're not probably not a baseball fan, but there's there's a thing where, you know, the the, the first baseman hides the ball in his mitt and, uh, and pretends to throw the ball or give the ball back to the pitcher, waits <laughs> yeah. for the leadoff to happen, and then just quickly tags out the guy on first who... And it happens, like, I don't know, once every five years or something. Somebody somebody falls asleep, switches off, mm-hmm. and, and they get tagged out, right? That's what happened in this game with Alexander-Arnold, like, sort of subtly looking over. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll switch the free kick takers. Barcelona's heads go down. They're like, oh, we got a little more time. I'm tired. And then he looks up, and there's Origi by himself. No one else is looking, and he just hammers the ball right to him, and then, bam, there's four. The ball's on that kid, though, to, to even try that. Think of it in that moment, and, you know, just... It's just crazy. Alexander-Arnold, you know, he's so impressive as a you know as a young player, really, and he keeps hitting these checkpoints. Someone, I think it's Raoul, um, uh, he was on Twitter, he put up the list of uh, Alexander-Arnold's games. He's played basically two full seasons of Champions League. He's 20 years old. And it's like, what kind of experience is this for a kid? Absolutely he's, sensational. He's tremendous. <laughs> and, and and I guess he's he's the poster child for bringing through your academy kids, right? Uh-huh. Barcelona or have... Uh, you know, a storied academy. Artur is there. Um, you know, plenty of other ones have come through. Uh, seems like you know they haven't had as many good academy kids in recent years. Liverpool also have had a really good academy in recent years. Um, obviously, like we used to, to scout there. Um, you know, not as many potentially graduating into the first team, but not as many you know possibly as talented as like City, Chelsea. Uh, you know, they're they're really scraping for the talent. But Alexander Arnold is. <laughs> He's just jaw dropping in how good he is at his position at his age. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic how he's how well he's done this season. Both their fullbacks have, have been really, especially you know going out uh, attacking have been really sensational. Barcelona, see Barcelona didn't have a shot after it went four 0 That's just crazy. I can't get my head around this. I mean, what what they just froze. It was like they didn't know. You know, to, to actually physically create zero shots when you when you're going out of the Champions League for. 10-15 minutes football's weird <laughs> and and there is a mental aspect as you know we we kind of i don't know if we deride it but we tend to ignore it and most of the time when people are discussing it it's overblown but i always hearken back to a few years ago when pep's first season with city when city were facing monaco at monaco and they just stopped attacking multiple times despite the fact they were cutting them to bits and they wanted to sit on that lead Mm. And you cannot, in modern football, sit on leads and expect it to hold. It will sometimes, but you can't expect it to do that. It's much better for you to play your game and, and go after it and, and continue to score 
especially away goals. <laughs> but for whatever reason, like Barcelona were, were shooting the. It was, I mean, the PSG game as well. Like, PSG mm. had were so far up, right? Just like yeah. so insanely far ahead in that match, and they managed to lose what six one at home. Uh, yeah, no, they won. They lost. Was it four nil away, and then they won six one at home to go through? Yeah, so so PSG were were, were four four nil up, right? Yep, and and effectively like lose six one. Like, how does that happen, right? How do how do you not just like find some way to hold on to the ball? It just kept coming back at them again and again, and and I don't know. Uh, like you know, everything falls apart at some point, and you know, I think the Barcelona guys with that fourth goal is how did this just happen? How how did I let this happen. How did my teammates let this happen? And it just, it all fell apart and no one had a response. Lionel, it's happening again. It's bloody happening again, Lionel. What are we going to do? <laughs> do something, man. Yeah, one of them. James hearkening back to the, the BBC <laughs> comedies of his youth. <laughs> so, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, you're right though. We do kind of like play down like mental aspects a, a little bit in those things. But when it goes 3-0... Yeah, you, 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 how much did the kind of fear just go through that Barcelona team or what? I mean, to, talking about you know, no shots, just to quickly divert. Um, Liverpool, Newcastle, you know, needed a win to get to stay in the title race, which looks as though it's skewed towards Man City. More insane games. That the, the Origi goal to get the winner, that was the only shot they had after it went 2-2 in half an hour. On, honestly, wow. going, in, going into last night, I thought they, Liverpool, have, they're just finished. You know, they've, they've been real high energy this last month. And then, you know, and really unfortunate, uh, Firmino, Salah and Cater all go out at the same time. Like, big energy guys for them, especially Firmino and Cater recently have been just kind of like running around like idiots. Yeah, yeah. And and really kind of finishing games and hmm. and, and driving them forward. Yeah, Naby's out with a, a groin injury for the rest of the season. Which yeah, is- yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, so literally limped over the line in that game. It just didn't create much at, at all uh, late, late in the game. Um and yeah, last night, you know, they're lining up with <laughs> Origi, who's I think started five five matches in the league in the Champions League this season. Shakiri, who's, who's been in and out, you know, relegated with Stoke last season. Not that was necessary his fault entirely, but he was a little bit edgy yesterday. He gave the ball away cheaply a few times, and you just think like, well, yeah, they're just you know, their season's petering out. Sure, and and Ginny <laughs> comes on late, and yeah. you know the Ginny the. The goal that like most sticks in my mind, aside from the the fourth, is the the header that Wijnaldum happens to win between two centre backs, and he just like by himself. Yeah, what's going on there? And and that's the thing. I mean, maybe maybe Barcelona switched off. They look at the lineup, the the squad, and they're like, "Oh, this is great. Like we got this. You know, this is this squad is something that we beat week in week out in in La Liga." And and that didn't happen. And and credit to the the Liverpool coaching staff for for just you know making their guys relaxed and be like, hey, no big deal. You know, go out and perform. We believe in you. You have a chance because it's you. But you know, most teams wouldn't. And if it doesn't happen, so be it. And man, they they did it. <laughs> and like you say, Allison, a few saves, a couple of times, Messi whistled it past the post. You know, there's there's chances in there that they nestle in the, the net and that it's over. Any goal that's over. done. Yep. Any any goal that's done, but Liverpool needed goals, so they had to take those risks. They had to attack, and and those are the chances. And I I thought the first leg, like that's kind of how how you should play anyway, because you know like Messi's it's it's a bit like Messi's gonna get his. We'll try and contain him, and they did. Um, but we got to score on on ours and go after them. Um, you know I I think the other thing that that I find 
I'm just genuinely impressive in in this season is is how often like Liverpool have just managed to grind things out, right? And this is where the set pieces come in extra. It feels like they get free goals at times. They're just like, hey, we we scored a goal or two more than we probably should have, than most teams would have uh, off of the back of this thing, and especially later in the season. And so the, the Trent Alexander-Arnold thing, I wonder, like in American football, um, you've got a playbook. And a lot of times early in the season, you run what's called more your vanilla playbook, especially against weaker weaker teams, because you don't want to show your future opponents who scout every single thing that you do uh, all of your tricks and, and stuff like that. And you don't necessarily need it, right? Like if you can just execute fairly well on your vanilla playbook, then you can you can break out the, the more special wrinkles later on. I wonder if that Trent thing is something that they kind of had seen other teams do and maybe even scouted it and you know, have, have stashed it away. Cause you would remember that. Like if you, if at any point in the season they had done that before, you would remember that people would remember that. But they're like, you know, there's an opportunity here once in a while that sometimes a team will switch off and we can pretend that, that nothing happens. And, and they're like, they needed it then. And yeah. that's why they brought it out. And I, I talked a little bit about the long throws from wide as well, uh, whether it's, it's the fast break long throws or the ones that, that come into the box, you know, Liverpool have have done well enough most of the season to to not have to need it, but here, you know, they're 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 at the end of the year. They're they're having to grind every single game. That that Newcastle game was was set pieces as well, right? Like that gets them over the line. Yep. Yeah, and I think uh, Andrew Beasley puts stuff up quite regularly. He's, he's put he puts up like you know most set piece goals and stuff. Liverpool, I think he's. I'm not sure if it was all comps or just uh, or just Premier League, but Liverpool are up at like 20 now, which puts them among like you know. Higher, ever. Yeah, yeah, higher you know, Premier League teams. I think their 13, 14 team that obviously was you know a whirlwind of a, an attacking unit would you know had more, was top of that list. But yeah, you you see Liverpool. I can't, I can't, Alexander Arnold again. That kid can absolutely put a ball on a sixpence from oh yeah forty I, yards. You know, and that's it, the, that's <laughs> the reason why we always thought that the better teams would do better in that phase of the game because their delivery is better. And when you can put the ball in the right spot with pace consistently it makes it so much easier to score so i i had a a final thought about just the the champions league game but it, it was kind of wrapped up in what happened over the weekend with liverpool as well when we when i built the set piece stuff with matthew's group um it was 2014 summer of 2014 and i was looking back at some stuff recently we i talk about living kind of vicariously through liverpool executing edges and it's exciting to see, and they, they hired a throwing coach, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that I was reminded of was Liverpool scored 26 goals off of set pieces the year that they, they went close, that they finished second. Yeah. And at the time, that was kind of judged a little bit as you know potentially randomness and some very good talent, and maybe they got a bit lucky. But now that I look back at it, like we don't necessarily know ever what's going on inside of clubs like you don't and Liverpool are actually quite private about talking about anything um you know they don't share anything because that's the edge and and we're the weirdos in in kind of the sports landscape because we're the the one group that was inside of a club and then now is outside of clubs and we're in the the era where football is transitioning to Moneyball, but everything's not secret because we're not in a in a club right now. And that's very, very unusual in professional sports because like in American sports, like you just get scooped up with a whole bunch of money and, and Arsenal's stat DNA got scooped up anyway. So the point behind this is that they did it a year before my stuff came along. And I started to wonder, maybe they kind of figured it out first. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's what happened. 
I'm just wondering if, you know, was it luck or did they, they find the edge and then pursue it? Now, the problem with my theory here is that in 1415, they had six goals off of set pieces. <laughs> so, yeah, it just wasn't the same, was it? Post, I, I'm, I'm, post I'm very willing to just say that other people knew stuff ahead of us, and we just didn't know that they knew, though, because like we have no knowledge, and you can't just claim all of these things. Like I know that what we did to work on it, I know how we developed it, uh, but you know whether somebody else had figured it out and is quietly pursuing it and had different failures, I don't know. The year after that, so 1516, I guess they had 15 set-piece goals. So it's possible. Things, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, things have been flow, don't they? It's weird. I, you know, if, you feel like you'd get... I don't know. You feel like you'd, there should be a more kind of like larger teams with like really obvious set-piece focus and innovating hard and, you know, year in, year out. It's like, you know, almost like so you do, oh, that's one of those Liverpool set-pieces. You know, you'd have that in yeah. your mind kind of thing. And, you know, they become well-known for doing specific things that kind of come out time and time again. And it's become obvious and they keep thinking ahead and they keep bringing in new wrinkles and stuff. And I feel maybe we don't quite have that, that kind of like poster team uh, that you know we've, we've seen consistently year in year out um, generate yeah. things I mean that that's Yet. that's possibly yeah that's possibly you know um, something something again to look out for you know if, if we find teams that are, are spending more more time on it and yeah I mean the Premier League's a classic example Premier League and Champions all the leagues are classic examples of where you know any little any little 2, 5, 10% edge you can chuck into your game probably the difference between a few million quid or a playoff spot or you know any a Champions League spot <laughs> yeah. like the difference between Arsenal Tottenham Chelsea and even United this year is is almost minuscule and mm. and three points it's yeah well i mean maybe maybe four points might be the difference between the entire table there right yeah um I, speaking of, of of set piece stuff like i got really excited this week i know you've you've been working on it uh i got to see a lot of you in slides and so much of the video from so you and doer is is uh our analyst here or one of our analysts here at stats bomb and i assigned him to basically take the the book slash powerpoint stuff that i'd done previously uh and written and then turn it into uh, our step, our uh, set pieces course, and he's like really gotten stuck in, and it's it's incredible. It's so fun to work with people who are really good at their jobs and produce like interesting, creative, fascinating stuff. Shit that I've never seen because he's done so much research on it. You're an expert now. I'm telling you, he's done yes. he's a hell of a lot of work on set Don't pieces. hire him now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need him. He's you know this this is one of the one of the. Uh, the kind of assets of, of doing it, the, the job that we do is that you know occasionally you get projects to do that mean that you just really get stuck into a subject or a, you know a specific topic and obviously this is something that Ewan's been doing and it's it's been really good and yeah I I know more about set pieces now I'm I'm watching blooming games and the corners lining up and I'm seeing where all the blooming guys are. games I know it's, I never used to care about this this wasn't this wasn't my territory <laughs> no. I apologize sometimes I infect people with my enthusiasm <laughs> I see they're wondering where they were all going and stupid things like that. anyway well our but, coolest project well like one of our coolest projects still isn't public and we don't know if it'll be public because it's under NDA until the, the governing body actually release it. But I, I was going to sort of briefly mention that in a post that I'm writing for Thursday, 
we're one week on from from developing and releasing Statsbomb data to the world. Pretty exciting. Yeah, and, yeah. But that's the like the one project that we haven't been able to release that you know I'm so proud of the work that you guys did on that. There's analysis of something. <laughs> Some, someday, hopefully, it'll be released to the world because it's it's actually significant in in ways that that you might not expect. But so yeah, uh, I guess we should talk about what happened in the Premier League this weekend and Monday as well because that's kind of a big fucking deal too. Yeah, I mean, what did you start? What did you start with? It started with um, Tottenham going down to nine men, <laughs> and then, and then I'd look at the pass maps after that. It was just hilarious. Just hilarious. Tottenham barely moved. Technically, Not, it started with Everton beating Burnley. Yeah, technically, but <laughs> the, the the Tottenham game was kind of relevant, and um, yeah, they did. I think they recorded by our totals forty nine pressures during that game, of which most were in the first half. But it was an incredibly small total. These nine men motoring around just trying to survive and out, so of, ca- out of character son gets sent off go on yeah i was gonna say i didn't watch this this game but i looked at the 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 stats behind it can you explain one fourth's role in this match <laughs> oh my god that's the, the quickest sending off i've seen since do you remember gerard did that i can't remember it was against man united i, I do remember gerard i was i was gambling during that period of time <laughs> gerard came on after and, and just ran around like a maniac for a couple of minutes and got sent off straight away it was like that it was, there wasn't any viciousness in the foul. It was just a bit clumsy, and his foot was up a bit. And the ref, the ref was obviously in well, a, son, re- a red. Son got mood. sent off for some afters, right? Like he yeah. clearly got fouled and was upset about it, and and got a little retaliation, as you do, yeah. uh, and as you used to be able to get away with in in England, but not so much these days. I've seen people get away with the, the push. Uh, I think Sissoko got away with a push not that long ago. I guess it depends which ref, you, ref you've got. But yeah. Sissoko this season is bulletproof, so he can get away with pretty <laughs> much anything and come out shining. In, defen- in defense of Sun, he'd, he'd been body checked by Lerma within yeah. about five minutes before. And I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure Lerma stamped on his foot. I mean, I'm not saying that's a deliberate action per se, but I'm pretty sure that's what happened and made him see red. Because, you know we're all human even even nicest guy in the world Hungman's son is is human and uh, yeah Lerma eventually got a yellow card in that match in the 90 plus 3 <laughs> uh, probably for celebrating no. <laughs> so, so that was the the opener of, yeah of, of all of the stuff that could have gone on this, this and that was it and Tottenham was screwed you know they haven't Everton in good form Tottenham home at Everton last game needing needing probably at least a point I was you know not not very pleased at this point at all and then, um, and then Sunday came. Well, hang on. And then, so Saturday night game, unusual. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we- that was Easter Liverpool. weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, Liverpool are kind of cruising along, but Newcastle are scrappy. And then it goes two-two. And man, I, it's hard for me to appreciate my timeline while Liverpool matches are going on because Liverpool fans are just fucking nervous all the time. <laughs> it's just like you're like. I have a hard time watching you discuss watching matches because, like, you're just never happy and comfortable <laughs> until the result is done. I'm like, this is not quite how I experience football unless it's actually for a team that I'm working for. So, anyway, so that's going on, and that turns out to be a three-two win, and then then we go into Sunday where Chelsea are facing Watford. Uh, yeah, Chelsea Watford. So that was that was. I'm I'm happy with this because uh, Chelsea. Chelsea are the one team that haven't got a nice boost off the numbers this this yes year. They've just been what they are, i.e., round about the third best team in the league. No, and no, no. They're they're a team in crisis. I read it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry's the worst manager ever. 
and in fact like everything that the club is doing is wrong don't you know that james i think i can't remember if i said this on last week's podcast or 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 to someone else but like so it's very easy to get caught up in the narratives of like halfway through the season or two-thirds of the through the season and even like kind of numbers numbers narratives that come out and then over the last like seven or eight games like things just slowly kind of evolve into into something different and i think that's exactly what we're seeing here with with chelsea and you know they'll they'll end up uh, either in third or fourth place and it'll be that's fine in this era you know it's it's not necessarily what you do what Chelsea might expect internally or certainly from the kind of chairman's chair uh, as a successful season but if, if you kind of look at it a bit more objectively like putting putting the the liner back on on track is uh prob- probably a good good effort for Chelsea this I think it's actually a significant result to to be honest like given that squad and how messy it was and shipping out Murata, who apparently had lost all confidence but has done fine with Atletico uh, and then like you know Iguain, who hasn't added that much because he's just not in that sort of shape <clears throat> um, at this point in his career uh, I think that this is this is actually pretty good uh, and now it's it's off of the back of Arsenal and Man United being fairly chaotic and mm. Tottenham not signing anyone and then stumbling over the line because they have so many injuries and so few players over the course of the season. But it's also off of the back of Manchester City and Liverpool having probably the second and third best points total seasons ever in the Premier League Yeah, in the same season. Yeah, which is, you know... There's not much anyone else can do about that when that happens. I looked this um, up. I, I was like, you know, how how good are they really, right? And, mm. and and so like obviously last year, City, the Centurions, only team to ever get a hundred points. Absolutely amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Then the next closest team is Chelsea in two thousand four, two thousand five, with ninety five, and they took the league by storm. And football was different then. Uh, no one knew how to play these guys, and they had just like so many strong players that turned into you know legends over the course of the, the year but yeah that it, it was it was impressive and and almost shocking how how well they did but that's 95 points right like city are on 95 right now mm. liverpool are on 94 yeah then the next closest team was chelsea 16 17 where they sort of like seemingly overperformed incredibly mm-hmm. to finish with 93 they never quite like no one ever you know put the brakes on them uh and then after that it's, it's chelsea in 0506 with 91 and, and United in uh, in 99-2000 with 91. So, like, 90 is a pretty unusual number. These mm. two teams are this pro- quite probably the second and third best Premier League total teams of all time. And the other thing that you hear from people is that they're like, oh, well, you know, they haven't won all the other competitions, so they can't be ranked with the best teams ever. Look, they're knocking each other out of, of Europe, you know? And, and Europe is a bit of a, a, a crapshoot, but City have been knocked out by English teams. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the Premier League is great the last two years. It's it's kind of weird, isn't it? I did I noticed something on my timeline just before we came to Club ELO who like rank all, all the teams forever, which is quite a fun little thing to kind of poke it's at. Cool. And they'd um like live they've got Liverpool as like the best team right now. And Liverpool as being as as good as they've ever been. I mean there's ELO there's issues with ELO, but don't worry about that. But like, you know before last night, Liverpool looking like they're going out of the Champions League, looking like they're gonna finish second in the Premier League, you're like, ah, you know, tough break Liverpool now if Liverpool win the Champions League and Liverpool come second by a point to this Man City team yes then <laughs> I know these are only just like single matches that change the framing of everything but it's really hard to like put an argument against like this Liverpool team being 
quite as good as it is. That said, uh, with my metrics head on, I think I think the most likely thing for, to happen next season for Liverpool is they drop back ten points. They concede a handful more goals, and people are confused, and not sure why that happens. Just because yeah. I, th- I think you know Man City are like. I think about half a goal better on expected goals. Like Man City, like just consistently like put this much out there, and everyone else is unlucky to be living in that era as well. Europe, and and Europe, I and I, the fact. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and like I say, and I, I just I just feel that the most likely thing to happen next season is Man City get ninety five points again. Liverpool get say like eighty five points because I'm very convinced that Liverpool are under you know no no imagination definitely the second best team in in this league by by some margin Chelsea could maybe broach that gap a little bit uh, but that would take them coming forward a lot and yeah and conceded a few more goals they had a run where they conceded nothing and um, like I say I think that's that's the most likely outcome next season but then maybe I'm underselling Liverpool a little bit and I'm sure the fans would say I certainly am but well I would say a lot of their set piece stuff isn't going to show up in the expected goals numbers I think the like the models are not going to estimate the the overperforming teams correctly because so many teams are bad at them across the entire data set that like you will not correctly frame that and you know even with our approach like you get a little bit closer but it's still going to to go off of you know distributions and the distribution isn't going to be the same for Mitchell and Liverpool as it would be for like any other team there um, but I think that Europe and getting knocked out by Liverpool and then. Um, and then Spurs this year in you know madness effectively, and the fact that Liverpool have like been so good in the Premier League this year have really disguised how ridiculous this Manchester City team is. Yeah, it remains. They had 100 points last year. They have 95 <laughs> right now, and they're they were quite probably going to get 98. And people are like, yeah, but they didn't win in Europe. Fucking hell, man. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> tough crowd, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but. You're right. I mean, I think the game, the game they played um, against Leicester, it did that was just so emblematic of what Man City do. And it was just like once they put the squeeze on teams, you know, the twenty minutes, twenty minutes or after half time where they were just squeezing and squeezing and squeezing, and like Leicester could barely get out of their own half. And okay, it took a wonder goal uh, to to win it, but you you still feel like you know had company not scored that, then Man City would have just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and probably eventually found a breakthrough and yeah i mean they just do they just do this to everyone even when they have a quiet half they st- they've still got that ability just to just to get the second ball every time like you know yeah. the team the team clears and you just get teams just get penned in and the passing just doesn't the stop yeah mm. it's, it's it's the skill too it's not just that like, they do work their socks off and and physically, you know, they've been extremely impressive. Liverpool have also been in a different way, I think, this year, physically impressive. And you would say that Liverpool certainly feel like the more physically imposing team now that you look across their squad. But, you know, there are plenty of smaller players that, that are talented skill players. Um, but I think I think my favorite, I've had so many fun things about this season. This, is, this season is like one of those truly memorable ones, a bit like the Aguero uh, season. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the final game yet, but uh, I'd love Sterling's commentary on Company's goal. Uh, did you see that on social media? What did he say? I can't remember. Uh, he's just like, he's like, what? What are you doing, man? That's a terrible shot. Oh my god! Yeah. No, Pep said Pep said that in an interview. Like they asked him, he said like, what were you thinking when you know, Company lined it up? And Pep was like, passable. 
pass the ball. Yes. <laughs> so they they understand. They know that this is a low expectation shot. But yeah, I mean that's that's football. Like you know, we, we we advocates over the years for you know kind of smarter shooting and better shots and all that. And yeah you'll never take take you know like long shots out of football entirely and they do they do have their place I, I, I do remember something about what Sterling said Sterling was uh, bantering off Kyle Walker because Kyle Walker had one of those in the first half <laughs> that like pretty much went out of the stadium yes and it's like yeah because that is most most often you know 98, 99 times out of 100 that's your outcome when you defend the strides forward and the Larrops one but there's always one that uh, you know one that goes in like that that kind of um, I don't know it kind of convinces the naysayers a little bit, but hey, this is you know this is this is sport. You know, it's, I, it's made out heard, of moments. Well, the funny thing about Sterling, like making fun of that, is I had heard that one of the things that um, Arteta had done a lot of was improve Sterling's understanding in the box and where mm. he should be shooting and how to get to those spots and you know shoot it when you're in between the posts is, is a pretty good. Uh, yeah, indicator, yeah. especially especially because Sterling had had basically leaks in his game where he would shoot from about three four yards too wide, and mm. if he got to central, he would just score more goals. And lo and behold, he scores a lot more goals right now, and mm. he's with with potentially a better team. Although the, the Liverpool team that he came up with was was outstanding as well. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's been a great season uh, as long as we don't talk about Arsenal and Manchester United anyway. <laughs> we we think we were going to do that a minute ago. And we didn't get around to it. Well, we can still talk about it. We got some time. We're at the <laughs> just past the half hour mark. Uh, you can. It's not like we didn't see this coming, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Arsenal first, I suppose. Like Arsenal's metrics just aren't good enough, and that's that's just a problem. Um, and it's kind of really come home to roost. Although, I mean, I don't know how how. How is a home match against Brighton? You know, we've been slamming their away form and just not really not been getting it together away form. They've lost to Palace at home and drawn um, drawn to Brighton at home in their run-in. And, you know, a win in either of those games would, would have just probably been enough to set them up for the final day. OK, tough tough match against Burnley, potentially. But, I mean, it was it was there for them. It was It was there for them. So and they've they've given up they've given away like you know a kind of top four slot and it's it's must be so infuriating. Well, it is, but it it also feels like you know things have come back to reality and mm. and so this is you know we use numbers to try and sift through um, your performance versus expectation and all year long Arsenal's expectation has been slightly problematic and you know from a tactical perspective like I've had some issues with how the team is set up I've certainly had issues with. You know, basically them conceding first halves. So, like, say that you you're just going to play for 45 minutes and see what happens, but not really try to score. Like that actually does decrease your <laughs> expectation for the match, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. unless you've got something really funky that you're doing in the second half that you could only get by playing this way in the first half. Like, that's just odd. And and so, in that sort of circumstance, um, you know, it, it's just. It feels weird. And then the team isn't attacking that well. One of the things that I sort of flagged up uh, last year before Emery came in was a concern for me that Arsenal would lose kind of their funky attacking structure and and a lot of the fun in attack because Wenger would be gone. And then they wouldn't necessarily defend that well, partly because I was concerned about the defense and partly because like somebody with a new defensive structure was coming in trying to put that together. Um, But I think that, yeah, we could dig into this more. My my bigger problem is is the James York classic, which is 
the shot numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of comes from that, doesn't it? I mean, they're, they're literally a sub-50% shot team, which, like, none of Wenger's teams were. Even the quiet ones, of like, when it, when it wasn't so well, they were, like, 54 55%. They took more shots than the opposition. This is just really basic stuff. Okay, like, shot quality can, like, put you into, like, a... a, a you know, positive expected goals position, which is what you want to be. But, like, you know, none of the really good teams in the world are, like, sub-50% shot teams. And, like, to, to kind of decline to that... Um, I, mean, I mean, that speaks of, speaks of your defence as well, because you're not, you know, preventing shots at any kind of, like, cont- content rate. Um, so yeah. let's put this into context, and we're going to go back to, to the classic... Sam Allardyce and Sunderland have taken more shots than Louis Van Gaal's <laughs> Manchester City or Manchester United. Sorry, Manchester United, and this is a fucking problem, right? Like that's a pretty big bellwether problem from you know classic Premier League over the last few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Arsenal currently take twelve point one four shots per game. Yeah. Teams above them, right? So like Arsenal are slightly below the midpoint, below the average number of shots taken per league. Oh yeah, well, whatever, average. All right, so Manchester City, uh, not quite 18. Chelsea, not quite 16. Liverpool at 15 shots per game. Shot quality has been improving. Shots per game have generally gone down. Like, mm. the fact that City take almost 18 with their shot quality is bonkers. Uh, Spurs, not having a great season still, just above 14 shots per game. Now we're moving on down. Leicester City, interesting, 13 and a half shots per game. Uh, Manchester United, 13.3, but also a pretty poor season. Still going. We're at Everton now at 13. Southampton nearly got relegated. (laughs) 12.84 shots per game. Oh, wait, there's more. (laughs) Crystal Palace. Now, this is the Sam Allardyce of the equal analogy. Crystal Palace are taking 12.8 shots per 90. Wolves are taking 12.54. And then you finally get to Arsenal at 12.14. This is why people are upset. This is why there's a problem. And this is why Emery has not made any new fans this season. Now, a lot of it was off the back of early overperformance. And hey, if he could just find this magical football wrinkle where he can do this forever, then maybe Arsenal are going to be pretty good. But that's not how it worked out. And that's where the season is at now. Okay, I'm done now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, Sky picks up on it. I think it was on, on Monday Night Football, or it might have been Match of the Day. I can't remember one of the two, yeah, Match of the Day picks up on it, uh, and they they were like, yeah, shot, Arsenal shots are like eleventh best in the in the league, but their their con- shot conversion was like best in the league. And it's like, yeah, okay, you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette who've been converting goals at a you know a pretty pretty decent rate overall, but. Yeah, the, the structure here is just it's just not impressive. And you got you know that that hilarious run through run through list. You can do the same with the. I'm not I'm not suggesting you do. You can do the same with the shots <laughs> against, and it still doesn't come out very pretty. You know you've got uh, all sorts of teams that you know haven't haven't conceded uh, quite as many or similar amounts of shots. And as, I think if if Arsenal were constraining opponent shots, like if yeah. they were a pressing team that was kind of in transition, like I'd be all right with that. Mm. But they're not, and that's not how they defend, and and I'm not all right with that. Like, there's where's the progress? What are you doing? It's very frustrating for me. Uh, you know, obviously, I believe in in math and stats and analytics, and maybe stat DNA can help wrangle this better, but maybe not. Um, you know, I've heard from a couple of different 
insiders over the course of the year who are not directly connected to the club but have friends at, at different clubs that you know there's a lot of chaos behind some of these big clubs and it's not just Arsenal or maybe even it's not even you know Arsenal aren't even potentially the worst like Gary Neville lighting Manchester United on fire in the media for for a lot of the decisions that they've made um, you know, we have to be careful about talking about this because like some of these people either may currently or may future be our, our customers but like it's not just us flagging up, hey, this is weird. Although Arsenal have given up 50 goals this year, so yeah, I mean these these are just these are simple performance trees. You know the league. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> the league table, which sometimes lies, but you know there's there's the league table numbers. There's just stuff is just factual, <laughs> you know, and and you should pay attention to it. You know, you're in, you're in a league where uh, Man City are taking like 12 shots more than their opponents. Uh, Chelsea taking six shots more than their opponents. Liverpool taking seven shots more than their opponents. This is yeah. what good teams look like. You know, the in, gap in, the in gap matters. Basis. Even yeah. just the the strictly old school measurement, the the gap matters at least a little bit. You can fool it for a while. Potentially, you know, Lucien Favre could fool things for long term. But even even Dortmund came back to to earth this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, so. and that's the thing. Probably, probably. You know, just taking lots more shots than your opposition will steer you in the right direction. And if you're not doing that at all, then you're probably not a really good team. You know, James just... is trying to summon the Vias Boas monster. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing rumors of Vias Boas rocking up somewhere. Last I heard, he MLS was the most recent one that I yeah, heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked, I couldn't find any sourcing for that. But uh, Celtic was another one that he was, he was linked with. He'll turn up somewhere in the. I look. Everyone wins with Celtic, so I don't even. Yeah, know to say about that do one. it, man. You know <laughs> why not, Emma? Uh, Vish Bose at Celtic that's got to be a fun way for it. quick turn to Man United because um, I mean I need they, they they were an outside shot for the for the top four um, going into the weekend and then drew at Huddersfield um, I, so I, we, we felt like last week on the podcast I swear to God we were saying well they've got that soft run in so they've still got a pretty decent chance right yeah that didn't happen no I got I, like, well, I get a little bit of fl- a little bit of flack from uh Mr. Altman uh, off off this because I I said Man United didn't have to win this game, but that they didn't was scathing, which was I, I should probably explain a little bit because they you know the, the, the via XG they were like a goal better against Huddersfield. I mean I think my general point is that like going into a match against Huddersfield in in that moment Huddersfield has been relegated. You know Huddersfield had a very bad season. Sure. Um, Man Fifteen points. At, yeah, Man United looking at the top four. You know this it's just. They should be able to do more. They should be able to like move the probability so that the the chances of them winning is is higher than it was, and that and that was the kind of emphasis I was trying to make uh, there, rather than you know kind of contradict myself. But yeah, it's um it's a weird one because I've 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 been reading like kind of like a bit of fan stuff on Man United, and they're so frustrated, so so frustrated, and you know the 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 ideas that you know like. From a fan perspective on Man United, you know how many the the questioning of the players and like who's putting it in and all this kind of thing is is really extensive. And I mean, a, a you know result like that just just when you need a result and the kind of run of form that they've been on and some you know pretty pretty poor defeats. Again, you you just feel like there's there's, there's a lot of work to be done. In, they have individual talented players, but they don't seem to be able to get it all together in in you know kind of any consistent. And consistent level and now well that's the thing really like if if your team has performed kind of at this level and i i we view the second as a blip right like we view the second as yeah, like, yeah. being like a little weird Mourinho's uh, greatest achievements he supposedly said <laughs> a, a, a bit of luck but like if if that's 
if we see this performance consistently and people you know who've been around the club are saying that nothing has really changed since since Moyes and they keep seeming to to try and re-spark the magic of the Ferguson era without any any understanding as as to how to do that but you know it's still grasping at the same types of straws then like the problem is not with the players necessarily the problem is further up the chain um you know I, like the neville stuff was you know they've got this guy who's the chief scout here they've got this guy who's brought in under another manager this guy who's brought in another manager like all sort of kind of trying to want to run recruitment or whatever and then another guy who was hired by the ceo and uh, you know who? What does the reporting look like? Um, you know who's in charge? And I think the the thing that he he found that I, I was trying to process in my head, he's like, if the, someone was telling Jose Mourinho that his players were either not the right ones or not good enough this year, and he's like, who's qualified to do that? And I'm thinking, I'm like, well, Jose Mourinho has won so much. Like, if you think that he's an expert in recruitment based off of the fact that he's won a lot, no one's going to be qualified. To, like Pep Guardiola might be. That's that's almost it, right? In yeah. in the whole world, but that's not really how the job breaks down. And and if if Gary thinks that that's the case, like it's just not anymore. That's not how how the football world works. Um, but no, it's a it's a tricky spot, and and there are a lot of good people in and around all of these clubs, and and the challenge is is finding the right process and and digging out of these holes in a very competitive environment. You know, everybody else is trying to compete with you and do better. And they might have these chaotic turns, but they're also hiring top talented people, either for coaches, for players, for whatever. So, you know, they, there is a lot of variance inside of it. You use numbers to try and sort through it, but you know, it doesn't always work out. I don't think that at United, you know, you can def, you know blame the players, but they don't know who to blame. And I think that's that's the bigger problem. Yeah, I something I thought about recently was like Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea was it fifteen sixteen was the last time that a team lit you know one of the big teams literally the ass fell out of their season and they ended up adrift in mid table. As long as these teams are like kind of like fifth sixth, you know, Arsenal, Man United, maybe one of the other big teams on on a down year. As long as they're in fifth or sixth kind of thing, it's not good, but it's almost not kind of like it doesn't kind of generate root and branch reform either whereas you know if, right. if 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 one season like one of these big teams just you know, had an absolute i mean i think at the halfway point united were like seven wins no not when Mourinho went they were like seven five and five win draw loss which is like just a shade over average and then obviously you know Solskjaer had a run and they they got right up uh you know to kind of where they are where they've kind of hung on to since but you know if, if one season we get like we should saw Liverpool have a couple of seasons like that where they ended up in eighth and stuff they were still sure. kind of processing trying to like rejig at the time so you know maybe it wasn't you know internal the, arguments everything wasn't aligned like this sound familiar yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe you know it wasn't um quite the panic that it was uh for say Man United if they ended up marooned in 10th one season but yeah you, you do feel like uh, potentially like it might take uh, you know an absolute kind of massive down season not just a kind of like flat season like we've seen uh, from some of these clubs and a massive down season to actually like generate like institutional change I don't well, know teams, I mean that's, teams that's, come that's to us in two like. circumstances right they come yeah. to us in two circumstances one of which is they're smart and they want to get smarter. And we have helped teams be able to do that. Uh, you know, we saw some of the early converts to StatsBomb data 
we're very smart teams who are just like, oh yeah, this is definitely better and it's easy to work with. And and that's cool, right? That's it's, mm. like, we can't talk about them necessarily, but like, it's a, it's a pretty good signal that, that you're doing something right. And then the other time, and probably the more common time that teams come to us and want to start conversations is when everything's falling apart and they're in crisis. Yeah. And the, like so like, this is a perceptual crisis for like Manchester United and Arsenal, but they can still be like, oh yeah, well, we're right there. We nearly finished third or fourth. The, the problem is the perceptual crisis for Manchester United is like we should be challenging for titles and we are 30 points off of the title. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's 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 the thing, you know, um, whereas perhaps Liverpool on their down years didn't didn't have the kind of like recent like title heritage to kind of like turn around and say... <laughs> Not that their fans would accept that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they didn't, you know, they, they, they'd been close in kind of like Benitez era, but like it's not like they had like, you know, four titles in the in the last decade to kind of turn around and or, and say like, hey, you know, this is this is the minimum we require. Um, and, but it was, you know, Man United, Arsenal, I mean, they're, they're 15 years out from from like kind of like consistent title title contention so like maybe less so with them Duncan um, Alexander had the, the the sort of trivia factoid that we are now closer to Arsenal's 1989 winning the title at Anfield um, it's closer to the invincible seasons than, than we currently are now I'm like oh yeah okay that's been a while <laughs> he also yeah what do you also he also said, said something like miracle yeah, miracle goals at, at, at Anfield, and I, I do remember Michael Thomas's like league winner back in '89. That was uh, that was live on ITV back in the day, which was a scarcity. And of course, yeah, we had a miracle winner last night. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's um, Anfield's amazing. Like on on nights or or days when when everybody's into it and something's at stake, there, there's almost nowhere better. I've never been. I have to say, <gasps> James, no. Have you been to the new Spurs Stadium yet? No, I will get there eventually. Okay, but uh, like wait, maybe when the ticket prices cool off a little bit. Maybe we should <laughs> full circle around. By the way, should we talk a little bit about what you think is going to happen tonight? Oh yeah, Tottenham. <laughs> Sorry, I feel weirdly confident about this game. I don't know why. What because you're hell? playing. You feel like they're playing against children, but they're really not. Well, the, the, the reason I feel confident about this game is I missed the first half an hour of the first leg. Because I was out, and I got in. That was when I actually were really good, <laughs> and kind of shredded Spurs. Uh, so the, I, all I saw from last week was was the hour where Spurs were kind of like physical and generally better's not quite the word, but generally like not really bothered by Ajax. So I think as long as they don't go in, Spurs have got a habit of going into games like this over the years and and just like <laughs> freezing or not knowing what the hell's going on and weird stuff happening as long as they go in there with a similar game plan to what they did where they where they kind of were as good or better than with Ajax. sun yeah with sun out there as well as you know a shooter extra bit of goal power in there um then i think it's it's up it's up for grabs i mean obviously you know i have a, have an advantage it's you know not in not insignificant in the scheme of things but it's only one goal um I think the classic English way to describe this is poised. <laughs> yeah, that would be about right, I reckon. <laughs> so there's hope. There's hope. And like I say, I want. I want. I now want Tottenham Liverpool as, as the Champions League final. Just because that would be so bizarre. I mean, I ask Liverpool, it would be bizarre too. But I think Tottenham Liverpool just just that's, you know, to have two English teams in the Champions League final and then not being one not one of them not being Man City would just be entirely weird. 
Although, sure. I was saying something. Something I re- didn't realise until I looked at it last night. I actually got into this competition in like the second qualifying round. Yeah. They've been going since July. Like they, they honestly, they got through. They went through three qualifying rounds before they even got to the group stages. Now, someone out there can tell me, tell me, tell me how often this happens. But to get to a semi-final or, or the final of the Champions League, having come through three qualifying rounds, you know, teams that really, you know, barely even get to the group stages coming in at that stage, it's um, that's that's some achievement. It really is. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay downplay Ajax and their achievements. I, I heard a fun that. story that if. Uh if Wolves win the FA Cup, is that right? Or Watford win Watford, the FA yeah. Cup. Uh, that means Manchester United would have to start their Europa League qualifying campaign on a day that they've already scheduled as part of their like Chinese tour, maybe or American tour. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like 25th, <laughs> 25th of July or something. So... Uh... I, I suspect what they would do at that point would be split the squad and send send part off to their commercial obligations while also sending like all of the players <laughs> they care about to the Europe. It could League. be a weird one, couldn't it? I tell you, something something else that struck me uh, yesterday was like um, I think it, the most favoured outcome of what's you know what's likely to happen from here to the end of the season is that Man City would win the treble, yet Liverpool would win the Champions League. Like yeah. And so you could again, you could have this Do you insane, think swap? insane season where you'd, people would be like, "Oh yeah, that was Liverpool season because they won the Champions League." You know, if, that, yeah. if this comes to pass, and that was the year that Man City won the domestic treble, which is you know, <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened before. It, it's a pretty <laughs> damn impressive achievement. <laughs> so, um, so that, that yeah. in a way that would that would that would like I don't know correctly allocate some kind of like reward for quality for the two teams, and um, these two teams would swap places. They absolutely would. Like their fans would swap yeah. places in a heart. Their owners possibly would as well. <laughs> Give us the league. We'll swap you for the Champions League, yeah. and it's all good. Yeah, that was another fun idea, didn't it? That, that came out. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool would definitely take a title over a Champions League, although they wouldn't sniff at a Champions League at all. And I'm sure Man City, Man City won, won a few titles. So the Champions League just to kind of give us give them that you know best in Europe crown. But it's not done. City have to go to Brighton. The scrappy Brighton, who are no longer in, in danger of being relegated, and uh, played with a new freedom against Arsenal last week. So, <laughs> and uh, and Liverpool are home to Wolves, but obviously, you know, a bit tired, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, you, you can understand if they weren't quite on it. Although, you know, but they will they be as well. Mentally tough. They they overcome a three goal deficit to Liverpool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been a hell of a season. I think that's a good spot to end. I'm not yep. even going to force you to make a choice about tonight. I just want you to enjoy the game. And uh, I don't know if you want to make the same claim that Pocatino made, but if Spurs win the title, <laughs> are you just going to retire from Stats Bomb? <laughs> Stop being a Spurs fan. <laughs> retire from Spurs. This is it. I've, I've, uh, the, the, there's only pain in front of me from here, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, poss- possibly, possibly not. Pock's not going anywhere. He's he's happy where he is. As as an Arsenal fan, I, I will tell you that apparently these don't happen very often, despite the fact that you think that they might. So uh, you know the, the the loss to Barcelona was uh, a very long time ago now. Yeah. Right, I think we can wrap that now. I think Ted, that's a good old podcast. And um... thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, enjoy the stuff on Stats Bomb. We've got stuff every day uh there's signups for the introduction to uh 
football analytics courses in New York, London, and Los Angeles. And there's also sign up for the set pieces courses. Uh, and we're seeing more people come on board with those. So pretty cool. Um, New York starts in under a month. And the London courses are almost exactly a month from now. So if you're interested, uh, get signed up and get tickets because those are, are starting to disappear. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. Cheers, boy. <laughs>